You are listening to the Amodamar podcast. In this series, Amoda explores her essential teaching through conversation and excerpts from interviews and events. To find out more about events and to sign up for her newsletter, go to www.amodamar.com. Please subscribe, comment and share if this podcast moves you. And if you feel called to donate, please go to the website. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to the Modamar podcast once again. Uh, today we've got something different, a little bit different. Today, Amoda is in conversation with Paul Cash, known to friends and family as Randy. A bit about Paul. He is publisher-editor at Larson Publications, which publishes a variety of life-changing books in the genre, genres of spirituality, inspiration, and personal transformation, including the widely acclaimed 16-volume Notebooks of Paul Brunton and, of course, Amoda's Falling Open in a World Falling Apart. We had the pleasure of meeting him initially at Wisdom's Goldenrod Centre for Philosophical Studies, when Amoda was invited to give a talk several years ago. And it was that that led to the publishing of her book. We've got a juicy subject today. The topic of the podcast is death and deathlessness, undoing the fear around death and meeting death consciously. Hello, Randy. Hello, Paul. Hello, Kavi. Hi, Amoda. Hi, Randy. Well, look, I'm going to hand over to you guys and uh, enjoy. Thank you, Kavi. Well, let's see. In, in my life, I found death to be uh, quite, a, quite a great teacher. Um, through early deaths of a number of people close to me and how it kind of structured my posture toward life, uh, pets, friends, parents, well, not parents, grandparents, uh, people of that generation, um, things in dreams. Um, later, uh, deaths of other important people. Um, and that's one lens that I kind of feel like I've learned a lot about death through. Um, but also, naturally, in terms of my thoughts and related fears or absence of fears about my own death at different times, depending on what state I'm in. But I love your subtitle. It seems like if we were to sort of like maybe dig into that just a little bit, it might be very interesting because it seems like uh, deathlessness has to be something very different than the you know the attitude that so many young people tend to have of this artificial sense of immortality of themselves as the personality they take themselves to be um and it seems it's very important to uh, somehow get shaken up don't you think by by death that maybe um it makes you doubt your own immortality you have like 
experiences with yourself or people that seem to point to how that happens, that suddenly you, you realize you might actually die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that, Randy. Um, my, my, my sort of experience of death is, is, is less of the death of close ones um, in my younger age. I mean, my, my father died when I was young, but somehow I was disconnected from that. It was dis- a disconnected relationship. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm leading on from your final comment, really, about, you know, when, when we actually come to face the inevitability of death. That didn't really um, hit me, if you like, uh, until I moved into my 50s when my own um, inevitable end definitely seemed closer. <laughs> Up until then, I hadn't given it much thought. And, and really, the, the turning point was the death of my mother. Um, and I'll probably talk a little bit more about that somewhere along in the conversation. But my um, insight into death, I wouldn't say knowledge, but understanding from a deep knowing has sort of come from death of the ego. Um, I mean, there was the death of my mother, that's one thing. But my my personal experience has been death of the ego, um, death of the self-identity. And it's that that opened the doorway both to the inevitability, that together with sort of growing older <laughs> in years, um, although I've always felt very youthful, so it's not an issue on that level. Um, but, you know, the inevitability of death and and what remains, yeah, and um, in that death, yeah. And, and so I, I come from it from that perspective, really. Um, there is an inevitability of the end of form, but what is it that remains? And it cleared if you like, it cleared away all ideas or beliefs about reincarnation or the afterlife or any questions around that. Or of course it's a mystery. So we can only speak from the place that we're at. And you know, you're not dead, I'm not dead. So we can't really absolutely um say or, you know, we'd have to be dead to be able to speak from that place. Um but but when the ego self has died, if you like, um, everything's a microcosm of the macrocosm. So it's it's that, that that opened the doorway to this deeper knowing of the portal of death, the inevitability of death, and the end of fear of death. And then also sitting in with my mother and watching her die was Uh was a profound um, confirmation of that. Uh Yeah. So I guess what we're talking about um, initially is let's face the inevitability of death. Our culture seems to um, 
uh, fear death. It's a taboo. We don't talk about it. We do anything to prolong our life. We pretend we're immortal. And then we get very disappointed when we get old and it's inevitably the end. It's as if it's a punishment. So perhaps we should just talk a little bit more about the fears around death and yeah, what that means really. Yeah. Yeah. That seems important if, I mean, to me at least to really talk about the subject is for a long time, it seems like something that happens to other people. And you do your grieving and, you know, your feelings of loss and all that. And it's kind of inexplicable to the explaining mind. And maybe you find some theory you like and you line up with it. But then it's, it seems for someone that's like seriously involved in any kind of uh, inner work or meditation or, you know, spiritual development, that um, there does come some like suddenly shocking moment where uh, the terror comes on you. You don't know how to understand the terror, uh, but you you kind of, well, you know that thing that you say uh, that I, I asked you about when we were working on your book about like you're born alone and you die alone. It's like somehow um, this terror comes upon you, it might be in meditation, might be in daily life or who knows what, but suddenly it's there. And I wonder sometimes if it has something to do with uh, some uh, brush of sorts with that which is really alone and the personality finds that it's absolutely terrifying at first. Yes, uh, I, I, I speak about this a lot in, in many of my discourses and, uh, you know, gatherings. Um I, I, I speak about the, the terror of the end of self, which appears when we meet an existential void. And uh, uh, inevitably, if you're on the spiritual path or the path of, you know, deep self-inquiry, who am I, what am I, um, you know, what is real, um, what is um more ever present than the narratives of the mind or even this personhood because the personhood is seemingly the source of suffering <laughs> yeah um if we've touched that through meditation if we if we're on the path of self inquiry if there's been a non-dual realization at some point the terror of what feels like death, what feels like the end of me inevitably comes up. And in my experience of speaking with many people is that most people stop there. Um, they become terrified of the terror mm-hmm. and that's always a, a sticking place. Yeah. They get stuck there and, and they, they sort of sense there's something beyond it. Well, my personal experience and my, my, my pointers that arise from that are always to soften into that fear to suffer it, soften into the terror, to, to give oneself to it, because that's the only true path of liberation. That's when you can really discover what is deathless, you know, what remains when the self dies. Because whether it's the, 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 the end of, you know, the, the death of the physical form, or whether it's the death of the psychological form, they're really one and the same. Now, obviously, when you, when the psychological self dies, um, the form continues, yeah. Unless it's actually the point of physical death, um, 
so so they don't necessarily go together, but they really are a reflection of each other. So the the psychological knot of me dies, and it feels when you come to that edge, to that abyss, that that's all that you are. So your whole existence is under threat, if you like, or under question. But if you give yourself to that, and this is the path of surrender, you will be liberated from that sense of me. And essentially, that's what death is. Yeah, whether it's the death of awakening out of the dream of separate self or actual death. Yeah, when the time comes for you to leave <laughs> on an earthly level, whether it's by accident, whether it's by illness, or whether it's old age, at that point, it's really an invitation of the, to the, to surrender to the self to the abyss of not knowing. It's an abyss of the unknown. That's why we can't really speak about it from this side. Yeah, because it's unknown. So it really is about meeting that unknown. And that's exactly the same as the awakening. So there's, there's this notion of that I, I, I surrender uh, the sense of self to this abyss. This seems to be a good, a, a good place to try to get a little light into maybe maybe another one of the many little nooks and crannies around, but the aloneness that it seems you speak of when you talk about dying alone and being born alone at the level of the personality, if you think about it, that's hard to believe because there's almost always somebody there. You're not really alone, but it's more that somehow uh, the, uh, for lack of a better word, like the consciousness dawns uh, of an aloneness that includes it's not the personality that's going to be alone, but it, it includes the cancellation of the personality. And, and this, this aloneness is much deeper than what the personality can feel as uh, loneliness or uh, unhappiness. Or Yes, yes, you're right. Um, it, it, loneliness and aloneness are at different ends of the continuum. So, it, I mean, we could be surrounded by, you know, 10, 20, 30 people, but still we die alone in the sense that only the singularity of the I, yeah, the I that is experiencing can actually experience that death in the moment. The others that are with us can be a witness to that passage, but they're not having the same experience. And that's the same with birth. And it's the same with life. Only the I, the I in you, the I in me, the one that perceives in you, the one that perceives in me, which is the same consciousness, but comes through a different individuation. Therefore, it is singular in that sense. Only that I can experience that birth, that death, and that life. And that's another thing, if you like, that the majority of humanity in this culture and in the unconscious state, let's say, um, will, uh, well, won't even think about it, but it's, there's a great big denial about that, that we are actually essentially alone, existentially alone, not on the level of form, yeah, we have family, we have friends, um, 
perhaps <laughs> uh, we have community, we have pets, who knows, um, perhaps we have children. Um, but essentially, we, we are called to meet, to come to terms with, to acknowledge, to feel, and to surrender to the very existential fact that we are each alone. There is only this I that it can experience this experience in the way that it is experiencing it. Mm -hmm. When we come to that, um, it's not a lonely place. <laughs> it's a true place. Yeah. And somehow it's paradoxical, but it sort of brings an end to, or it, it possibly can bring an end to the clinging for comfort from the world of form. Yeah. Because we're alone, but in that aloneness, our primary relationship, let's say, is with, with beingness. Yeah. The beingness that manifests as this consciousness through this individuation. And when we touch that place, that beingness is one. Yeah. It's the same beingness in you as in me, as in everybody. There aren't lots of beingnesses. There's just one beingness. And that kind of turns aloneness into all oneness. So there's a big transformation possible there. Yeah, and it seems, at least for me, it, it seems important um, to at least entertain a question that's actually, it's probably an invalid question, but maybe through the asking of the question, uh, it, it sort of like leads to being able to say more like um, how is that experience that felt experience of that we're talking about um, how is this not like the height of one's imprisonment in the separative consciousness how does this differ from that like it's not the kind of uh, alone that I'm locked into my separate uh, my sense of separation, but it, how, how is it different than that? Well, well, it is different from that because aloneness isn't, when we go to the depth of aloneness, when we, when we really penetrate um, the, the truth of existential aloneness, and that's a very, uh, felt sense yeah it's an energetic experience it's not an intellectual understanding but when we when we really allow ourselves to fall into and meet and penetrate that existential aloneness and know it as as the truth of things it it doesn't end up as the prison of the me self it's it's like in that place the the me actually dissolves yeah in the in the deepest aloneness the me dies and and in the me dying which is the psychological knot of self that believes itself to be separate and therefore is imprisoned and therefore is in suffering it dissolves and in that dissolvement there's energetic realization that in fact you 
are not separate from anything at all because what you are is consciousness and consciousness is the totality yeah manifesting as everything yeah yeah and yeah it kind of ends separation it ends the veil of separation so you're no longer yeah. kind of standing outside of life alone looking at life that you're, kind of alone you're, yeah. you're, you're completely merged with life itself and when i say life i mean the consciousness that that manifests as life yeah but i'm not sure if that explains it but cuz well, it's a beginning words I mean, it's, are so difficult yeah, yeah. I, know. I can yeah. only speak from the experience of it and and the yeah. experience yeah. of it is is beyond words yeah, yeah. but there yeah, well, the words are so easy to misunderstand. That seems to be one of the hard things about talking about difficult things. Uh, if people don't really understand what you mean, they'll misunderstand it, misapply it, and so on and so forth, and everything. And so, I, I you know, especially, I, I think maybe it's my editor hat. I, I, I do try to be as transparent with the words as I'm able to be in a situation. And it seems like this separateness, this sense of separateness that we're jailed in uh, normally is desperately needy all the time. It always needs something. I mean, you could, the list could go on for hours and it would still be just beginning. Uh, uh, but a taste of this aloneness you're talking about and the dropping off of this desperate me self. It's like it, your, your, your aloneness is kind of characterized by, I really don't need anything. <laughs> this is it. This is all I need. Yes, 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 absolutely. It's the end of need. It's the end of the need for love because you are love in that. It's the end of the need for, um, you know, finding completeness or wholeness, which is what the whole spiritual search is, um, because you are that. It's the end of um, clinging to anything, uh, chasing anything or rejecting anything. I don't mean on the, on the level of, you know, everyday life, you know, if you have a path and a mission and uh, I don't know, whatever it is, whether it's creative or some kind of uh, uh, enterprise or whatever, um, you know, you, you will be doing things and that involves getting things, having things, putting things into motion. But I mean, the psychological chasing of comfort or the psychological chasing for love because you feel unloved and you need to be loved. That's one of the primary ones. It brings an end to all of that. You use the word outcomes, like the, the seeking for certain outcomes. It's like, uh, can, can you put words on how it's different to be um, doing and being engaged and yet not um, um, attached to any anticipated income that, you know, uh, not income, uh, outcome. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Income, <laughs> income and outcome. outcome yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mean right. having an agenda for the outcome, yeah. An yeah, that if, if it doesn't outcome. end this way, then yeah. it ended badly. You know? Yeah. Some... Well, that's exactly it. It, 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 it. There can be a lot of doing, and um, but there's no... The, the doing is happening 
now and now and now and now. Yeah, it may have a direction to it. Yeah, there's a seed of inspiration, but there isn't the conventional kind of mindset or creation of a mindset that kind of wraps itself around it, that is working towards an end goal. And that end goal inevitably will have success and uh, uh, perhaps power and uh, adulation and uh, whatever it might be. And it has to be that way. So then we're kind of caught in the success and failure uh, polarity. Um, doing can happen in a completely different way. It happens organically, naturally, spontaneously. Um, it's almost like we're moved by a deeper intelligence than the intelligence of the small mind that wants a specific outcome. And miraculously, um, what f- it's like a flower that grows. Um, it simply grows. Um, and miraculously, what reveals itself as the flower is usually more, let's say, fragrant or (laughs) something um, than anything we could imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and we could relate this to, to the way that we live. Yeah. Uh, When when we live in this way, because we've gone beyond the, the, the me self or the me self has died, then we really live. We really live. We're totally alive in the present. We're, we're not clinging to the future moment. Yeah, We're not following the narratives of the mind. The narratives of the mind become quieter. So we're truly living and we're total in what we do. It doesn't matter what we're doing. We could be washing the dishes or, or, or you know, doing work at our desks or whatever it might be. Um, or walking in nature, we're total. And in that totality, we're truly alive. And when we meet death in this way, it's also, uh, it's like there's such presence in that. Because what I'm really speaking about here is living from the unknown. Yeah, when we live from agenda, we're living from what we think we know. We think we know what the right outcome should be. We think we know that if we get that outcome, it's going to bring me fulfillment or satisfaction or happiness. This is all coming from knowing, the knowing mind, the acquisitive mind. But when we live from the unknown, yeah, without agenda, and there's this beautiful intelligence that moves us moment by moment by moment by moment, then we can meet death in that way. It's just a continuum. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, if you like the point of it, that's the point of meeting death consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than meeting it from our imagination of what it might, you know, how terrible it'll be and what happens afterwards and, you know, what states it might take us in and whether there's hell or heaven or Bardo states. or yeah, all of this, comes from the the knowing mind but if we meet it with this open um freshness if you like innocence nakedness then it has a very different quality to it it seems to me that it's very important now i don't know if it has been to this extent before but it's very important now that we model uh 
uh, I don't know if I can get the words, that we, we, we model death differently than it's modeled by most people for those younger than them. That younger people get this, you know, sense of the, the awfulness of death and how none of the older folks seem to want it. And they fight it off as long as they can. And they'll do anything possible not to die. And, and, and the process of um, one's moving on becomes so painful for so many people. Um, and uh, I saw something in one of the Dalai Lama's books sometime back where he, he speaks about death as like the, the greatest spiritual opportunity of a lifetime. And, uh, you know, how, how to see this death that we're talking about, at least the beginning stages, as, as, as this wonderful opportunity rather than this terrible thing to avoid. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, keep that full engagement that you talk about as like living, uh, living out loud, you know, loving out loud. Yeah. I mean, when you've existentially died, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, psychologically um, uh, uh, died, then there is no death in the way that we imagine it um, because there's no clinging to form psychological form in terms of thought or physical form in terms of sensation and pleasure and gratification. It's seen to be a dream, uh, a passing dream, a passing experience because you have experienced the deathless. So the whole um, taboo and horror of death, other than the physical pain that may be may be involved in in aging or illness, um, which of course brings suffering on the physical level, but the actual portal of death is not seen as this terrible thing. It's a transition. It's a it's an exit. Yeah, we enter through birth, and we exit through death, and who or what we are rather is beyond that. And I guess there's two ways to, if you like, approach this. One is from the point of view of having existentially died or, or you know, psychologically died into the ex- existential void, in which case none of this is really a question. Mm-hmm. To, you know, none of this is really a problem. Um or if that has not been part of the experience um, to to meet consciously each moment now to meet to practice the living experience of meeting this moment and this moment without gender and there's a kind of small death that happens in that yeah the grasping self is actually non-existent in that. And that's an ongoing practice. And all yeah. of that facilitates the, the, the ease of 
meeting physical death. I mean, it's a, it's a relief, yes? From this yeah. perspective, it's a relief because the human experience is, is one of polarity, duality. There's no way around that. And that's the Tao of life. There is pain, there is pleasure, there is, yeah, there are opposites. And when our gratification or our identity, yeah, our sense of self is not derived from that any longer, then, then what is there to be so afraid of letting go of? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that kind of frees us to, to truly live, yeah, and not be afraid of life either because it's a passing experience and it's not what we are. And none of us, may, not, none of it, what we gain or what we lose actually touches the truth of who we are. So we might as well just give ourselves totally to this, you know, this life, this moment, this, yeah, and be total in this and be total in life and be total in death. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of watching that bounce around in my little pinball machine of a mind here. And uh, um, you're not talking like carpe diem stuff. You're not talking, uh, you know, just throw, throw all everything to the wind and respond to the next thing that comes up as if, um, uh, at least I think you're not. You know, as if there isn't some uh, inner trajectory for your life that still makes choices between what it knows is good for you versus what it knows is bad for you. That, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not talking about being, uh, you know, a risk taker in that sense and or being irresponsible or being a free spirit that just, I don't know, floats around and jumps from one thing to another. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just being talking about being total in, in the trajectory of your life. Yeah. If you love, love totally. If you do, do totally. If you give, give totally. If you, uh, experience loss and suffering open to that totally. Yeah. Yeah. And back a little more directly, I think on the topic of death, it, it seems that as a person feels death is approaching, um, oftentimes things they thought were important uh, or essential or critical, they become so much less important, you know, whether it's, objects they really had to have or um, uh, achievements they really had to make, like somehow the importance of those things falls away. Uh, and this seems to be, this falling away seems to be part of this process you're talking about, that, um, that we not only have to learn how to live, but we have to uh, learn how to die. That uh, yes. the, the ability to stay conscious through this process is so critical. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the search for fulfillment or happiness or peace from things that we 
accumulate objects or possessions or even money or um, or family. Yeah, we tend to accumulate <laughs> friends and family. Yeah, at some point, either towards death, although not always, but um, certainly in the awakening process they are not seen they are seen not to be the source of happiness and fulfillment so there's a falling away of the need for those things or the looking for those things or the acquisition of those things and we can enjoy what's in our environment we can enjoy our friends our family our pets we can enjoy the things and the beauty and the whatever it is that surrounds us but it's not the source of fulfillment so we can be totally in the world but not of it so we can live and die at the same time <laughs> yeah of course when death let's just talk a little bit um in a different angle if you like of course when death approaches or if it's sudden then then we have no idea that it's approaching but um but if it's you know approaching because of age or illness or whatever of course there's a great sadness or sense of loss or you know heartbreak for those that we leave behind yeah or those who remain and see us move on of course it's going to touch and break open the heart um and then again we're so afraid of that we're so afraid of having our heart broken so we can acknowledge the 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 sadness or the heartbreak of loss yeah because there is a loss on the on the level of form yeah if we lived with somebody for a long time and then they're no longer there there's going to be a sense of loss and that breaks our hearts and we're so afraid of having our hearts broken because even that yeah when we really meet that heartbreak with a deep deep acceptance then we come to see or realize hopefully that the love is still here it's the love that is real not the form <laughs> yeah it's not the form they're in love with yeah we're not in love with somebody else's form although it seems that way yeah we're actually yeah. in love with the with their presence yeah with their consciousness with that which animates them and that's you know that that still remains it remains alive in our hearts yeah Yes, and that, that seems to be the space that we're talking about, that you have that recognition. That that seems to be like where we participate in the deathless, you know, as different from this false sense of immortality that we struggle to maintain. Uh, it's like some kind of surrendering of one to be able to start to have a awareness of the other yeah there's a great kindness that we can be <laughs> yeah we can be kind to the fact of death yeah we can be kind 
to those who are in the process of dying. We can be kind to ourselves in the inevitability of heartbreak. Yeah, and and that's very much different, a different attitude than the desperate clinging to life and the desperate fear of death, which manifests often as life support systems. You know, we've got to keep him or her alive at all costs. That's not kind. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's not really kind. Yeah, I mean, there's different situations and there's no right way or wrong way. Um, It's not black or white. But when we take away that kind of desperate clinging to life as if death was the the, the, the the worst punishment ever. Yeah. We might be able to meet the conditions around death in a much kinder way, in a much more supportive way, which will be unique to each situation. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that that uh, is that sense that uh, death invalidates everything. <laughs> it, it all amounts to nothing. It all has no value. <laughs> Uh, unless somehow you're forced to process it in some way to like not fall into that trap and become a materialist that, uh, you know, how you live doesn't matter because it's only going to go on for so long and then it's over. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to talk a little bit about my, my mother's death. Um, my, my mother was, desperately clinging to life. She was eternally youthful. Um, and even in her early 70s, she she was a young girl. In, I mean, we sort of are in some ways um, ageless because on the inside, even though the body gets older, <laughs> um, on the inside, there's no change in consciousness. <clears throat> so we always feel the same, if you like. It's only the thoughts and the beliefs and the the sort of physical form, yeah, the thought form and the physical form that seems to age. Um, But consciousness is eternally uh, young, if you like. It has no age. Uh, And she kind of felt that, but she also felt that her physical form was ageless. And so she was desperately um, clinging to her youth and to her to her life and to her things in life, whether they were relationships or physical things and this, that, and the other. And like many Christians was very afraid of death and had no real um, in, you know, personal investigation or inquiry into that other than the images that are portrayed through Christianity of burning in hell and, you know, perhaps if you're good enough, ending up in God's safe lap and, and this, that, and the other. So she, she had all of that. And so when she very unexpectedly got um, ill, uh, you know, very, very unexpectedly and out of the blue, there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of scrambling to, to, to stay alive and this, that, and the other. Um, something happened to her in that and I, I, I sense, or I, you know, I, I, I felt that she had had a near-death experience, and 
had experienced something very unexpected to her, had experienced whatever we might call it, the light, um, the freedom, if you like, of the end of self, the goodness of it, that it wasn't hell. Um, You know, I can put lots of words to it. I can't say exactly, but I, I got a sense that she had touched that in a way that she had never touched in her life. She was not a peaceful person. She was always suffering. Uh, everything was a drama, a problem, and a great punishment. And she was a victim of life. And this kind of changed things. I mean, she wasn't able to speak, so she never, um, you know, was able to express this. It was all through her eyes. I saw her eyes change, mm-hmm. eyes that were very fearful and you know, sort of shut down and tight, just opened up. And in that opening, they were just naked. It was like, it was like looking into the eyes of a baby. Mm-hmm. And I just sat with her and was very present with her. We weren't able to speak or she wasn't able to speak. Nobody really knew why she was dying or why it was so critical. It was all quite mysterious. And All I knew was to, everybody around her was trying to save her life, her family, the doctors and so on. All I knew was to just sit with her and look into her eyes and that's all. And in that, it's like she disappeared, I disappeared and all that was left was presence and love. Not the love of her form, not the love of her story or her life. It was, it was terrible. I, I, I rejected it most of my life. I ran away from it. I was repulsed by it. But just love itself. And that ended the whole problem <laughs> of life and death. And I don't know, it, it, was, it was very powerful. It was very yes. transformative for me and for her. And, you know, if I may dare ask, you've had a brush with death. <laughs> oh, ver- variety of ways, yeah. Um, before we leave what you were saying, though, it's it's beautiful to hear that you got to have that experience with your mother. But what, what age was that for you? Early on, or for me? No, it was not that long ago. It was about six years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah, six or seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a somewhat similar thing with my mother. She um, she had a stroke, lost the ability to you know talk, or had the the um, possibility of verbal communication just didn't exist. And uh, we'd been estranged for quite a few years to the point that most of my relationship to her had become like duty and obligation rather than anything that I really felt as love. Um, and uh, like you, I got to sit with her for a while. There weren't a lot of other people there. Some number of days when she was in the process of dying, and she just she just alternated uh, between rage and despair because it's like she had thought of herself as basically a good person, and things would get better one of these days, and they never did. And uh, she was like just back and forth between this just bottomless despair and the, the most intense rage that I'd ever seen anywhere. Um, at a certain point, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just couldn't handle it. So I started to do a breathing exercise to kind of be able to stay with it. 
And as I got into the, oh, she was panting, gasping, the whole business. Um, and as I got into being able to get my rhythm established, her breathing started to change. And it's not that her breath matched my breath, breath for breath, but that like it coordinated in the sense of like maybe one of my breaths would be like four of hers or five of hers or two of hers, depending on the depth of the connection. And then in that connection was totally surprising to me. It shocked me so much that it was, um, it knocked me right out of the state. I had to work to get back into it again. But uh, I would feel a spot in my body uh, where there was tension. And I looked to that spot and an image would come up. Uh, some incident involving myself and my mother that uh, one or both of us had taken as a uh, uh, good reason to separate, you know, to build up this more and more, this inevitable mother-son separation that has to happen. Um, and it became very clear that somehow we were both looking at the same image. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would, I, I would realize I had acted badly and ask her to forgive me for it. And she would, and vice versa, that sometimes she would take on the blame that she was recognizing she really deserved for that working out so badly. And, and there was this emotional dialogue that went on over a period of several days um, that really ironed everything out so that uh, the love that I had had for my mother when I was younger, like all came back and it was all there for this, you know, this, this person who I thought I'd grown so far apart from that love wasn't part of the equation. Um, it was really quite lovely. So, so, so death can be a great healer, yes. a healer of the past, a healer of wounds, a healer of separation. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great gift. Yeah. yeah? It can be yeah. a great gift if we allow ourselves to be present um, with those that are dying, if we have yeah. that opportunity. Um, yeah. And and certainly, yes, if we stop sort of panicking and trying to keep alive what is not, um, you know, what is not available for that, really. It's, it's a kind of false keeping alive of the form um, beyond the point of... Uh, of love beyond the point of kindness beyond the point of true value um yeah if we stop panicking around it and creating fear around it then the one who is dying can actually let go yeah and it's all so much deep it's all so much deeper than words and so much uh mm -hmm. Like all the defense mechanisms go away. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's what I saw. All the defense mechanisms and go go. So it's a it's not just a physical death; it's a psychological death that happens at that point, yeah. and that's kind of brings us full circle to us talking about the psychological death. If we can meet that psychological death, either as an ongoing practice a kind of mini death um, in our lived experience or if that psychological death sort of uh, the opportunity for that reveals itself through the existential void or the non-dual 
you know, realization of no self, um, then, then here it is. Yeah, here it is. The, the ability to meet death more consciously. Um, how beautiful that is. <laughs> yeah, it seems it, it's not something you can do. It's sort of something that you can welcome and allow and uh, spend a little bit more time with before you run away. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then maybe certainly... next time... Maybe next time you don't run away quite so quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly a conversation that needs to open up, yeah, a conversation within ourselves, yeah, um, to inquire into the nature of death, to inquire into, yeah, to, to, to look at the perhaps beliefs that we have around death and to examine if they're real or if they're inherited, if they're inherited culturally, religiously, um, you know, through things that we've read or been handed down or spiritually even. There are many spiritual beliefs around death, philosophical beliefs around death, and to start to examine whether they're real and to start to ask ourselves, can we meet the reality of death without belief? Yeah, that's a great starting place. And, you know, this is a co an inner conversation that is rarely had. It can also be an outer conversation. I mean, in my relationship with Cavi, I mean, we're not that old, but we've certainly experienced um, consciously, yeah, uh, intimately in the relationship, the, the inevitability of one of us dying first, well, we're both going to die, but the inevitability of one of us going before the other yeah. and what that means on a human level and what that means on a sort of uh, consciousness level, yeah, an existential level. And so it's not something that's tucked away and, you know, might take us by surprise, yeah, it's it's already been met. It's it's all it's all it's already broken our hearts on the human level, and yeah. we've already uh, both of us in our in our way and within the relationship. The relationship itself has realized, recognized that which remains unbroken. So it's that beautiful paradox, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be one of the opportunities within the process of living itself and not really a contradiction. Um, if there's somehow like we, people say, you know, we've, we've lived many times before and well, we've probably also died many times before. Uh, and, you know, how, how, how at a deep level do we um, assimilate and learn from the whole process? Mm -hmm. We're not going to, none of it's escapable. Um, <laughs> I, uh, at some point, I, I think probably this conversation is not the right one for it, but at some point I would love to talk about that last breath moment, you know, when the, when the person uh, does have that. And it's so clear that something that was there is not anymore. Uh, and and what, what begins from there. Um, but that's a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really diving into the unknown there. What yeah, well, it's not totally unknown. It's more like uh, uh, probably clues that have been offered but not pursued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have that conversation another time. But I really feel I'm feeling it more and more now. Uh, 
maybe it's because I, I'm not satisfied, but I, I feel like the stories that our culture um, these days has about death are totally unsatisfying. And I think we need, I feel that we need to come up with much more satisfying stories about death. It just feels important to me. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, do you think we've uh, perhaps pursued this as much as we can for now in this time frame? Yeah. Unless there's something else that you want to bring into it for a few minutes. Well, I guess only, it's probably been implicit in what we've been talking about, but only that, you know, how we can change our perspective from uh, um, thinking and feeling about death in the context of as being some awful thing to be avoided at all cost and how to possibly engage it as a very valuable opportunity to uh, uh, incorporate into our um, thoughts about the whole as we live from moment to moment. Yeah, I, and, and I, I, I think that um, the truly valuable way or beneficial way, <clears throat> well, there's two ways. One is the actual conversation, to talk about it, to bring it to the open, to stop making it a taboo, to examine it, to, to bring to light um, in oneself and with others the beliefs around um, death and you know yeah. what, we, what we think is true, yeah. which might not be true. So that's yeah. one way. And then the other way is to, is to, um, to go on the inner path of mm -hmm. self-inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, tr that's the, that's the truly beneficial way because then you can touch it, then you can feel it, then you can discover it. Yeah. yeah. What is more real, if you like, than the self that I think I am? Yeah. yeah. What is more present? Can we actually know ourselves as consciousness? And that's the spiritual path. I don't mean the yeah. spiritual path on a, you know, <laughs> following angels and that kind of spiritual path, but the truly spiritual path, the inner path, going into the inner dimension to start turning inwards. And that's, that's the way that we can truly examine uh, yeah. what death is. And, and also, I think, you know, for you, clearly, uh, in keeping with the subtitle of the podcast, uh, deathlessness is not a concept for you. Deathlessness is something that um, uh, functions within you. And you can, you know, among the many ways of speaking about whatever it is we speak about, uh, you know, let me tell you about deathlessness is also, you know, uh, a place to speak from. Absolutely, yes, yes. That is the inner dimension, the death dimension, the unbroken dimension. Yeah, and, and that's really the place that I yeah. personally um, 
uh, know that is the foundation of 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 this life, and it's from that place that I point to anything at all, whether it's death or anything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's absolutely. so different than the so different than the uh, the the quest for personal immortality. Absolutely. <laughs> We'll put adjectives in front of it as you like. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. How do you survive death? Um, learn about the deathless. <laughs> yes, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for this conversation. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you um, invited me into that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we've provided any answers, but then that's not what it's about. It's an exploration. It's a dialogue. It's a, it's a diving into the mystery. It's the examining to some extent, as far as we have, of what stands in the way of the deathless um, or the realization of the deathless. And hopefully this conversation has been of some value to anyone who might listen to it. That's been a value to me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Randy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Really. Well, it's, been, it's been a joy to speak with you. <laughs>